Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. I'm glad that you've made time to, to worship and study the word together. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness. You're our father. You're our dad. And we come to draw near to you, to submit our lives to you, God. And we know that there's power in your word, and we pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to understand, and through the power of the Spirit, that there would be real lasting impact. So God, would you minister to us? Would you bless your people? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up in Southern Oregon, uh, logging was a big part of the community. It was still a time in Oregon's history where a lot of trees were being harvested. But in my lifetime, the laws changed, culture changed, and also the harvesting of trees became very unpopular. So what happened was, is Southern Oregon changed drastically. You went from a lot of logging uh, that took place and all of the industry that that supported to then that completely, uh, pretty much passing away. And there was a real heritage that was kind of lost uh, with that. You know, you've got generations of loggers and there was some of that in my family as well. And then it just, boom, it, it tended to go all away. I mean, I have uh, an uncle that worked at Boise Cascade his whole uh, time in his career there, just uh, harvesting. And there was a big chunk of his career where he would stencil the green Boise Cascade upon the lumber if you go and you buy uh, lumber. And there was a real heritage that was lost as that industry died out in, in Southern Oregon. My grandparents, they had five children. They had 11 acres for the whole time that, that they lived. They lived in that property until they were in their mid-90s. They never owned a washer and dryer. Can you imagine raising five kids with no uh, washer and dryer? They would go to the laundromat to, to do their, their laundry. They never had a furnace in their house. There was no furnace ever in their house. The only heat that they ever had in their home was from their, their log uh, wood fireplace. And there was many things that they did on their property that was something that had been passed down for generations that didn't pass to my mom's generation, that didn't pass to me as well. And so you see some of those kind of things and you realize there's a heritage that has been lost. For the children of Israel, even more importantly than losing out on logging or losing out on farming and some of those things, they're, they're losing out on their spiritual heritage. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is how Israel lost their heritage of God being their king. And we can look at a lot of things in our culture and a lot of things in our society, but I think the biggest thing that's the heartbreak is the loss of the spiritual heritage that we're seeing in our culture it's a turning point for the children of Israel. If you have been tracking with us through this study, two weeks ago we see that they demanded of God that they would have a king. Anytime that we demand of God that we would have something, that's the wrong place to be. We want to submit ourselves to God's will and to his plan. God gives them what they desire, and he's going to raise up Saul to be their first king. Last week we saw that God's in the details. Remember that? God's in the details. Saul's out looking for his donkeys. The donkeys were lost. He ends up with Samuel about ready to be anointed as king. These are transitional chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. It's easy to read them and go, this is just information that we need to get about the story. But it's huge for the children of Israel. This is monumental. 
Things are being lost. They're losing this relationship with God being their king, and they're replacing it with a man, Saul. Doesn't mean that they're not God's people. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. Doesn't mean that God's not going to be faithful to them, but they've experienced a tremendous downgrade as we read through this chapter. Also, as we study through these two books, First and Second Samuel, is we're getting introduced to a key character. Saul is going to be the focus of our attention for several weeks, even months. So it's important to know his beginnings. How did he begin? We need to realize that there's probably more of Saul in us that we would not want to admit. We don't want to own up this morning that I see some things in Saul's character that's also in my character. Because we're then going to move to David. And hopefully we're much more like David than we are like Saul. It's easy to dismiss Saul's life to think, well, he was just kind of bad from the core. He was bad from, from the beginning. But that's not the case. He actually started off really well. He started off with a heart from God. He started off with an encounter from the Holy Spirit. And if Saul can drift, we can drift. How far does Saul drift? Well, he goes homicidal. Goes homicidal. He goes trying to kill David multiple times, but he started off in a good place. So this is an important passage of scripture for us. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? All of these events leading up to this moment where it's Samuel and Saul privately. Saul's getting ready to to head home. They've walked away. The servant's been sent ahead, and now Saul is anointed with king, as king. Later on in the chapter, it's going to be his public ordination, his, his public identification as the king, but this is just Samuel and Saul. Why is he anointed with oil? Throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, when someone was anointed uh, with oil, it was an identification that God was calling them to a unique work. He's being set apart to be king. The priests were anointed with oil. And they would actually take the oil and pour it right over their heads, coming down their head, coming down their beards. And it was an indication that you have been set apart for God's purposes. But also it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you to give you the power for this task of being king. Also, Samuel kisses him. To understand this, this is cultural. Still in the Middle East today, to greet one another is you'll kiss each other on the cheek. That's very foreign to us. You know, if if you came up this morning and tried to kiss me on my cheek, I'd run for my life. You know, it's like, no thanks. Let's let's do the, the side hug, okay, or the handshake. None of that. This is America. But in this culture, this was very common. This was the greeting. You would greet one another with a, a kiss on the cheek. The message that's given to Saul from the very beginning is you're the commander of his inheritance. These people, they don't belong to you. They're God's people. They're God's precious treasure, his inheritance. Isn't it amazing that God would choose Israel to be his inheritance, and also that he would choose the church to be his inheritance. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about Israel. Israel's not perfect. They're, they're flawed, but yet God has still chosen them. We're not perfect, but yet God has chosen us, and we're his special treasure. We're his inheritance, and if God has given you any kind of servant leadership, remember they're not your people. They don't belong to you. If you're a parent, a grandparent, they're not ours. They belong to the Lord. They're God's inheritance. 
if you serve in God's church. They're not your second graders. They're not your small group. They're, they're the Lord's. They belong to God. If you have leadership in your job, understand those people belong to God. God created them. I think Saul's going to lose sight of this as he goes forward in his life. In verse 2, when you've departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worried about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Saul has just gotten this news that he's going to be king of Israel. Wow, the weight of that responsibility. I was just out looking for my donkeys. The donkeys were lost, and now I've just been anointed as king. On top of that, no one's ever been king before in Israel. Talk about creating a new position. Maybe in your job, they've said, hey, we've got this new position that's never been created before. That's kind of exciting, but it's also a little bit scary because what are the expectations of that job? So God's going to give three signs three confirmations to Saul to affirm in his heart that God is with him. And the first is that there's going to be two men by Rachel's tomb. They're going to declare the donkeys have been found. Now your dad is worried about you. When speaking words of prophecy, they have to be fulfilled perfectly. So if there's three men by Rachel's tomb, it's not a perfect fulfillment. These are very specific signs for Saul. So he's going to get to Rachel's tomb, and boom, there's two guys. And what do they say? They're going to begin to speak to him about these donkeys. So that's the first sign. Here's the second sign. Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the Terebeth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. Three guys. And these three guys are going to be carrying specific things. First, one's going to have three goats. The other's going to have three loaves of bread. And another is going to carry a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. This is really, really detailed. This guy's got three loaves, but he's only going to give you two. <laughs> Just take two. And this is a confirmation that the Lord is with you. There's things that we can learn from this as God will call us. It's important to realize God has got assignments for us. That's what's exciting about serving the Lord, specific things that he has for us to do, good works for us to walk in. And when he calls us, he's going to give us signs of confirmation that we're headed in the right direction. I'm with you. I'm doing this. I'm opening up the door. This opportunity is from me. I'm moving in the heart of your neighbor. I'm moving in the heart of your, your children. I, I'm moving in this area of the church. I'm, I'm moving in this area of, of the community. Confirmation is given to Saul of his call. We go to verse 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. The Philistines are very present as an enemy for the children of Israel. Here is a, a group, a garrison of Philistine soldiers. And it'll happen when you come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. 
we see a school of prophets throughout the Old Testament. Many times they would live together, they would live in a community, they were supported by the generosity of the rest of, of Israel. And this group of prophets are, are traveling this day and they're traveling in worship. And they're at the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp, and they're prophesying. They're declaring the word of the Lord. They're speaking the things of God. So here's Saul, and he's going to experience this. First, the news of the donkeys. Then, the two loaves of bread. Then, here are the prophets. This is the greatest of the three signs. This is the most personal of the three signs in verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. God's Spirit coming upon Saul transforming him and changing him for this task of leadership that God is giving to him. This is very encouraging, the way that God works. We can learn from this. God, when he calls someone, he equips them. It's not that God calls the equipped. That's the way the world does it. God doesn't have a human resources department. He doesn't look through resumes and go, you know what? You are the perfect fit for this task. You have the right abilities. You've got the right experience. You've got the right education. So you have this opportunity. I'm calling you to this. Throughout scripture, who does God call? He calls those who are weak and foolish so that he can receive the glory. He delights in calling the least qualified Many times, God doesn't always use us in our areas of strength. It's not wrong to pursue our areas of strength, but God will call us in our areas of weakness to shine forth his glory. God's always going to call us in something that's beyond us to where he will equip us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're waiting to step out into what God's calling you to, saying, well, I just don't feel prepared to be a parent. You will never feel prepared to be a parent. You, you cannot be fully prepared. You know, I, I just don't feel prepared to, to be married, you know. Well, you've got to trust if God's wanting you to be married that he's going to equip you for, for marriage. I, I just don't feel like I could ever share my faith with someone. But yet I feel like God is, is calling me to that. He's, he's going to equip you. Maybe God has been putting on your heart the junior hires, the middle school uh, students. I took a moment during worship to go into to the middle school room. Yes, our church, we do have junior hypers here at our church. They, they really do exist. They're just right over there, 100 feet. And they've been doing some things to their room. You should look at it. It looks pretty cool. And maybe God's been stirring on your heart to be a youth leader. You're like, man, I'm not, I'm not very hip. I'm not very cool. I don't know that I understand them. You know what? They have enough friends. They don't need hip and cool people. They need people that love them that will take the time to invest in them, and that's what they're really hungry for. Maybe God's been stirring you for that. But you say, I don't, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not that youth guy. I'm not that youth gal. Follow God's call, and he's going to equip you. And that's what we see with Saul. God's doing a work in his life through the power of the Spirit. We will not experience the transforming work of the Spirit in our lives until we pursue God's call. A lot of times we want to sit in our area of comfort and go, well, once God equips me, I'll go. God says, go and I'll equip you. Amen? He says, go and I'll equip you. Go and my spirit's going to come upon you. Is there something for us to learn in these three signs that Saul experienced? I think so. I think that what he experiences in these three things 
is important for anybody that's going to launch out into the things of God, the calling of God. The first sign with the donkeys also showed the care of the father. His father misses him. His father is concerned with his well-being. If you're going to launch out into God's call, you've got to know the love of the father. You've got to know your heavenly father loves you. Your, your heavenly father has your best interest in mind. And when you're sharing with people, you're sharing with them the care of a loving father. If I have a wrong view of my father, it's really hard for me to be effective in what God has called me to do. So there's a message there for us. Is it just coincidence that one of these men has loaves of bread and wine? What does bread and wine represent in the scriptures? What does it point to? It points to communion that we're going to celebrate this morning. The broken body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread of life. If we're going to be effective in God's call, we've got to know the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We've got to know that he's broken for us. Not only broken for us, but broken from the world. And our message, what we're sharing with people is Jesus loves you. He died for you. It's his blood that forgives you. Isn't it incredible that we're completely forgiven by the Lord if you're in Christ? Think of all of the things that God has forgiven you of and your past and the present that he will forgive us in the future. It's overwhelming and it's amazing. And that's foundational for us when we're launching out into what God has called us to and then finally an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We cannot do this apart from the spirit of God. So having lunch with a friend this week on Friday, and he was sharing with me that God has really been stirring in his heart the importance of every day praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit that he could be used for God's glory. So every day he's waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be used for your glory. And he said it's been transformational for him. Just two weeks. He's been doing this for, for two weeks. And he says, I'm still a sinner, still struggling, but it's completely different. We can't live out God's call apart from the Holy Spirit. I do think there's things for us to learn in these signs that were given to Saul. In verse 7, and let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. This is the voice of a father. All right, Saul, when this happens, you need to go with what God's doing. When they offer you the loaves of bread, don't argue about it. Just receive the loaves of bread. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, Go with it and begin prophesying. Speak forth the things that God is putting inside of you. Verse 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I'll come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. After he experiences these three signs, there'll be seven days of waiting. Samuel will meet up with him again. Then there'll be the public ordination of Saul becoming king. I wonder what kind of thoughts Saul was having for these seven days. Is this really happening? Was this a, just a dream? Man, this is crazy. I'm prophesying. I'm going to be the king, king of Israel. It was probably a long week of anticipation, fear, and doubt. Verse 9, so it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart and those signs came to pass that day. God gave him another heart. He experienced these signs. He turns from talking with Samuel, is heading his way to 
walk into these things that Samuel told him were going to happen, and all of a sudden, his heart changed. God equips the called. God does a work in those that he has called. I've seen the Lord do this several times as people launch out into the things that they're called to do. There's a real transforming work that takes place in their life. God puts his hand upon them in a very unique way. Be encouraged. Step out into what God has, and he'll do that work that so desperately needs to take place within us. Verse 10 and 11, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all knew him formally, saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, what is this? that has come upon the son of Kish is Saul among the prophets? They're blown away. He's the donkey catcher. He's the guy that we send out to go find the the donkeys when they're lost. Think about the transformation that's happened in Saul's life in just a few days. Here he's doing something pretty menial, important for the family, but not that important beyond that point. And all of a sudden, now he's among the prophets and he's prophesying. God's not a respecter of persons. Do you know that? He's not just looking in seminaries for those that he's going to call. God doesn't say, well, you know, you have to have your master's degree in divinity to be used by the Lord. He's not just looking for those that grew up in a Christian family and went to, to Christian school. God's not looking for a certain economic status to go, well, you have to have this kind of financial stability. God's looking to those who are available. He'll use people from seminary and he'll use people that aren't in seminary. He'll use people with a high education and he'll use people with no education. And you may think, well, I'm over here. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I, I'm, a, I'm a donkey catcher. I couldn't be used by God to be prophesying. The Spirit of God couldn't come upon me and use me for His glory. For some reason, we think there's like professional ministry that, that pastors must have, have it figured out. Or if you work for a nonprofit or you're on staff at a church, that then you can be used by God. Well, newsflash, pastors are just like everybody else. We're, man, just spend 24 hours with me and you'd be encouraged, you know? It's... <laughs> We're all flawed. We're all broken. It's a work of the Lord. He's looking for those who are available that will answer God's call. Remember the tribe of Benjamin? We talked about this a few weeks ago of what they did in the book of Judges, almost eliminated. They were the black sheep. No one was looking for the first king of Israel to come out of the tribe of Benjamin. But here's Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. He's prophesying and God is using him. In verse 12, then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father or who's the source of of these things? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? The idea of this Proverbs is that this will happen when pigs fly. That's how out of the box it was for Saul to be be prophesying. Is that the case sometimes when, when people know your life formally? They knew who you were before you knew Christ as their Savior. Every once in a while here at RMC, there'll be someone who gets saved out of a crazy lifestyle, and then one of their friends will get saved that was also part of this crazy lifestyle, 
and they'll meet up here at church and they'll look each other in the eye and they'll go, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? This is crazy, right? And sometimes that's the glory of God's work of redemption in our lives. Maybe 10 years ago, the last place you thought you would be on a Sunday morning in July is in church. And there's still people that are floored that you are following Jesus Christ. It's an amazing work of God's ability to change a life and change a heart. And there's that testimony with Saul as well. So we have to wrestle with the person of Saul a little bit here. We can't just demonize Saul and say he always had a hard heart. He was always prideful. We have to look and go, okay, he had a great beginning. He had a real encounter with the, the Spirit of God and he got off track. Verse 13 And when he finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? Saul's been gone for several days. So he said to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. It gets interesting. The story gets interesting. What? You met with Samuel? This wasn't an ordinary occurrence. What did Samuel say? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the manner of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. He gives him partially what had taken place with Samuel. Samuel told me, don't worry about the donkeys, they've been found, but he leaves out the part about Saul becoming king. I think this is wisdom to wait to share this, You don't always have to share everything that God's doing in your heart and life. There there will be a time for those things to be revealed. Verse 17, then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. So now everybody's going to be gathered together to receive the king that they so desperately want. And said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. This is an unusual coronation of a king because God is saying there's some regret here on his part. This is not what I desired. This is not what I intended. He reminds Israel of his unique relationship with them. God said to Israel, I'm your shepherd and you're the people of my pasture. I lead you, I take care of you, I've delivered you. And he gives three examples of his deliverance. First, deliverance out of Egypt. If you remember, they were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them with these amazing majestic plagues to be released from the hand of Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Now they're in the wilderness making their way out of Egypt Pharaoh decides he's going to come after them to destroy them. God parts the Red Sea. Israel crosses over on dry land. Pharaoh pursues them, and God collapses the waters of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and all of his army is drowned in the Red Sea. God took them out of slavery, but he also destroyed Pharaoh and his army. And we see those two things in this verse. Out of Egypt and out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then the third is the hand of all of the kingdoms from those who oppressed you. You can read through the Old Testament and see all these amazing victories that God gave to the children of Israel. Some while they were still in the wilderness. Amalek comes against the children of Israel. Moses goes to pray on the hill, and as his hands are lifted in prayer, God wins the victory, and Joshua leads. 
Joshua then leads them into the promised land. Jericho, the walls of Jericho go down. All the supernatural of God's working. We go into Judges and we see the deliverance through Gideon and even Samson. They're going to trade in the supernatural hand of God for Saul. Man, what a downgrade. Why would they want that and why would they desire that? But the same thing happens in our lives. Anytime that we remove God from being at the throne of our lives, put someone else in that place, it is a tremendous loss. God is still committed to us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us, but we've missed out on something very important in our relationship with him. Verse 19, but you have, but you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all of the adversaries and your tribulations, and you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Saying no to God has consequences, doesn't it? You've rejected him today. He himself has saved you. But now you want to have a king that's over you. I was considering and wrestling with this question. Who's the Saul in our lives? When we take God off of the throne of our lives and put in a Saul, who is the Saul? Who do we give the authority of our life over to? Many times it's ourselves. Many times we choose to be our own king and our own boss and we say, God, I want to make this call instead of allowing you to, to make the call. It's selfishness. And then sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it'll be an important person in our life, maybe even a godly person in our life, but we're looking to a person instead of looking to the Lord. Jesus commands to be the authority in our life. Do you realize that? The teachings of Christ is that he's our savior, that he died for our sins and rose again to take control of our life. His invitation is follow me, be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The whole invitation of following Christ is he's in charge, he's the authority, I'm following his lead. When we say I'm walking with Christ, what does that mean? It means that I'm realizing that he gets to call the shots. Okay, Jesus, what would you have for my life? And church, this is where the blessings come. Not to mean that life will be easy, that there won't be difficulties, but this is where the spiritual life really begins to get exciting and stays exciting. It would be nice if we could flip a switch and go, man, I'm going to live under the authority of Christ for the rest of my life. But the reality of it is, is it's a daily choice. We can choose that, but then it has to be followed up with daily choices. It's similar to marriage. You stand up and you commit in a ceremony to be married, but then a good marriage is you follow through with that commitment every day, don't you? You walk in that direction that you have been committed to, and it's the same with the Lord. We walk in that direction that we have been committed to, and some days it's a bigger struggle than others. Sometimes we want what we want, and we want to raise our fist to the Lord and say, no, God, I want this, but wise is the person, remember, who leaves the decision up to God, who says, Lord, I want you to make this call in my life. God gives them Saul to show them how much that they need the Lord in their lives, how much that God desires to be their king. In verse 20, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So got all the 12 tribes. It's going to be narrowed down to one guy. So the tribe of Benjamin is singled out. I wonder if there was some 
gasps in the congregation of Israel. Really, Benjamin? The guys that did the horrific act in the book of Judges, when he'd caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. <laughs> so it gets down to Kish, and it gets down to Saul. Where'd he go? Where is he? Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, here he is, hidden among the equipment. Remember, Saul's taller than everybody else by head and shoulder. So everybody else is kind of in here, and here's Saul. Here's this big guy hiding underneath the equipment. Going, please, choose somebody else. You know? It does show us that there was an initial level of humility in Saul's life. He wasn't striving to, to be king. His response is understandable. The fear, the inadequacies, knowing his own heart. But I believe that it's not commendable. It's not commendable. Notice that he couldn't hide from God. God's the one that rats him out. God speaks and says, yep, he's right over there. Just go, just go look by the equipment. Who's another man that hid from God's calling? Jonah. How did that work out for him? Not very well. He kept thinking that he could get away from God's call. God was calling him to go preach to the Assyrians in the capital city of Nineveh. The Assyrians were the enemy of the children of Israel. He did not want the enemy to receive God's grace and forgiveness. So he goes the opposite direction. He goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat. Once he's on the boat, he goes down to the bottom of the boat. God sends a storm. Instead of repenting and responding in obedience to God's call, he says, I'd rather die. Just throw me into the waters. He knew the storm was from the hand of God. So he goes down to Joppa, down to the bottom of the boat. Now he's down in the sea. And you'd think that God would just go, all right, I'm done with Jonah. I'll call somebody else. He's really non-profit at this point. But Lord, in his grace and his mercy, prepared a great fish to swall swallow him up. You know? I think it was Shark Week this week on the Discovery Channel. All these shark attacks and North Carolina. God prepares this great fish to, to swallow him up. Now he's down in the belly of this great fish. And he waits three days, three days before he gets right with the Lord. That is stubborn. That is hiding. Where can you go from God's presence? And finally, he gets right with the Lord. This great fish has the urge to regurge. And what does God say to Jonah? I still have this call for you. You still need to go to Nineveh. Have you been running from God's call? Have you been hiding from God's call? Maybe I got, I got a good reason. I'm fearful. I, I have inadequacies. There's no way that, that God could call me or, or use me. It's understandable, but it's not commendable. Look at Isaiah's response to God's call in Isaiah chapter 6. Is he sees the Lord. He sees the throne of God. He too is struggling with his own inadequacies. He says, God, I'm undone and I'm a man of unclean lips, but he saw the Lord. 
So he says, here am I, Lord, send me. I think Saul is too focused on himself and that's why he's hiding. It's understandable. But if he were focusing on who God is and God's power and God's ability, he would have had an Isaiah response that says, here am I, Lord, send me. And when I'm hiding from God's call and when you're hiding from God's call, I think the focus is upon ourselves instead of upon the Lord. What have you been hiding from in God's call? Have you been going down and down and down and down? And the Lord's saying, it's time to go up. It's time to go up. It's time to go up. It's time to get back to the call. Men, have you been running from your call to be a godly husband, to be a godly father? Wives, have you been running from God's call to be a godly wife and to respect your husband? Have you been running from God's called to remain in singleness? God has called you to, to be single and you know that, but you've been running from that. Have you been running from God's call to go on a missions trip? Lord, no, I'm not going on a missions trip. That's, that's for someone else. That's for those radicals. Have you, have you been running from sharing with a neighbor? What is it? God knows. He sees you this morning and he says, hey, why don't you get out from behind the equipment and let's get moving forward in the things I've, I've called you to. Verse 23, so they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? And there is no, no one like him among all the people. So the people shouted and said, long live the king. I'm sitting here reading this going, didn't you guys hear what God just told you? That you rejected God? They didn't even stop to let that come into their ears and break their hearts. All they see is this tall, handsome guy. And they're like, oh, Saul, this is so great. We got a king. Oh, you know, it's like, wait a second. You guys just rejected God and you're running to Saul. They're shouting for Saul and they're not even at the place where they're grieving over the fact that they've lost their heritage. They've lost God being their king. They lost being the only nation that was a theocracy that was ruled by God. How quickly we get our eyes off of the Lord. How quickly we get our eyes on people. In verse 25, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote in a book and laid it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. So God raises up some faithful men to support Saul as king. But there's also opposition. There will always be opposition. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presence, but he held his peace. Saul shows wisdom in not responding to those who are in opposition of him at this time. Three things to consider. The first is this, God equips the called. Please hear that. God equips the called. If God's calling you, you can trust that he's going to equip you. Second thing is God honors your choice. God honors your choice. If you don't want him to have authority in your life, he will honor that decision. Even if you have a track record of spiritual heritage. When I talk about spiritual heritage, I'm talking about your life personally, my life personally. Not so much if you grew up in a Christian home. Praise the Lord for that, but you've walked with the Lord. 
How long have you walked with the Lord? Five months? That's your spiritual heritage. Five years? 50 years? Wow, amazing. But we can take our spiritual heritage and we can turn it in in two minutes. Two minutes. You could read through this chapter in two minutes. How quickly they made the decision to say, God, we don't want you to be our king. God continues to love them. God continued to be faithful to them, but they forfeited their legacy under the Lord. It takes a lifetime to build up a, a spiritual legacy and a moment to trade it in. Isn't that humbling? God's going to honor your choice. God's going to honor the choice of our country to not want him to be a part of our nation. He's not going to force himself into our nation. We've told God, we don't want you to be part of our schools. We will not have prayer in school. We won't have talk of God. We won't have talk of creation. We don't want you to be part of our schools. We've worked hard to push him out of our schools. He's going to honor that decision. We've worked very hard to push him out of our government. We do not consult God's word when we choose our laws. It does not factor in with that. We don't want God in our government. We don't want God in our laws. He's, he's going to honor that. We don't want God in the marketplace. We don't want him in our businesses. You can talk about anything under the sun at work tomorrow morning, but if you mention the name of Jesus Christ, your job could be in jeopardy. Why? Because we're pushing God out of the business sector. We're pushing God out of the marketplace, and God will honor that decision. In a lot of ways, we've pushed God out of the family. We've said we do not want God involved in the family. We don't want to talk about God's definition for family. And what's humbling is God will honor that choice. He'll honor it and say, okay, go ahead and try it without me and see where that gets you. Here's your Saul. Here's what you, you asked for. Saul's name means requested. Here's, here's what you requested. But the flip side is true, is God will also honor your choice. We can't control everything in our country, though I think we have more influence than we realize, but we can control our own life. This morning, we can come to terms with our own disobedience and our own willingness to surrender. And if we go, God, I want you to have authority in my life. I want you to be on the throne of my life. Guess what? Jesus is going to honor that choice. So God honors your choice. And then finally, God calls you out of hiding. God calls you out of hiding this morning. You're behind the equipment, running from God's call, and he's speaking to you. It's time to get up and walk in the things that God has called you to. We're going to take communion this morning an opportunity to meet with Christ and do what we talked about. Remember his broken body and his shed blood. And I would encourage you to do this as we come and take communion, is reflect on all that God has forgiven you for. Allow it to be fresh. Think about who you were formerly, who you were in your past. Think about the sin of this week and realize Jesus, the bread of life, he was broken for me and his blood was shed. Do this in remembrance of Christ. Don't let this just be a tradition that we do. We come based on his worth. There's tables here in the front. There's also tables in the back. Chance is going to come out and lead us in worship. Come take of the elements and sit back at your seat. Reflect upon the Lord, and then when you're ready, take of the elements, and then you can move on uh, with your morning, and we pray that you're blessed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you've said no to the Lord time and time again, as we come to take communion, there's going to be a ministry team here on the sides that would love to pray with you and introduce you to Christ. The gospel is simple. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. All those who repent and believe are saved. 
Repentance means to turn, to turn away from sin, to turn to Christ. Are you ready to cry out, Jesus, save me, forgive me by your grace. He's ready to meet you, to save you, be your Lord. Are you ready to begin following him? You're saying, I've made a mess of me. I'm ready to receive Christ as my savior. And as people come to take communion, you find someone on the ministry team and allow them to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ and then join us in communion. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And as we take communion, Jesus, we want to welcome you into your proper place in our lives, the very throne room. We want you to have authority. Would you meet us in communion in a special way? Would you bless this time? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.